Welcome to another exciting episode of the Firebrands Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Moore, and joining me around the table, we've got the best, the greatest, the smartest, and the most wonderful atheist activists and heathens that New York City has to offer. On my left, we've got Professor Mitch J. Hello, good evening. Well, that's not your line. Free will doesn't exist. That's much better. <laughs> yeah. We've also got Dan the Man. I'm the irregular. You're not the irregular. I'm the odd. Okay, fine. You're still the man. Joining us for the first time, the amazing, the talented, and a close personal friend of mine, Rachel Tobias. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. And then, of course, joining us as always, Mr. The Thinker himself, Michael John. Science can show us God is superfluous. Logic can show us God is incoherent. Okay. <laughs> Next, we've got our, our finance minister, our... Pretty much the brains behind the show. Andrew himself is here. I second Michael John. At least someone did. Next around the corner, our advisor from uh, things with armed conflict and awesomeness, yeah. Mr. John Kerbo. Hello, uh, herzlich willkommen to the Firebinds episode. Is for the Wunderbar sign. Yes, exactly. Wunderbar. Talk English. Also joining us for the first time, we have our good friend, Kenya. Yo, what's up? Religion is dangerous for black people. <laughs> Kenya is a good friend of ours that we know from our local event, Drinking with Atheists. He, he showed up and he's warmed our hearts and we love him to death. And we're we are honored to have him on with us. I'm honored to be here. Well, we've got a lot to talk about on this episode, but first we're going to start out with Rachel. Rachel, you're an atheist activist. You're... You used to be the head of Long Island Atheist, but I want to get into your atheism itself. Like, what made you an atheist? Um, well, I would have to start with my background, which is I was raised conservatox, which is conservative and orthodox Judaism. And honestly, I didn't question anything until I was about 17. And uh, around that age, I had entered public school where I met people with different backgrounds and ideas. Because before then... Everyone in my community was more or less doing the same thing, and I think it's a lot harder to question a society when that happens, although part of the push I had towards atheism was I didn't like how women were treated in that religion specifically. So even within that community, the fact that women couldn't lead a service or you know, be a part of prayer or contribute as much as I wanted to, because I was a model student at my Jewish middle school, that got me sort of on the ball of thinking about um, why this religion wasn't really fair to me. And as I got older and entered public school, things really solidified when I found myself trying to pray to God, and, and it just felt so ridiculous. Um, and eventually I realized I was an atheist. I didn't quite have a word for it, and I didn't know that any groups existed within my high school in Buffalo, New York. And then once I moved out at 18 because I told my parents I was an atheist. They told me to talk to a rabbi. We couldn't agree, and they were very authoritative and very religious, and eventually I got sick of it, and I said, look, if you don't change, I'm moving. And they didn't, so I moved out. When I went to college, I joined my first atheist group, and I went to Purdue University, and it was called the Purdue Non-Theist Society, which was run by my good friend Jennifer McBride. And it was then that I really found, like, I got to be fully part of myself and investigate religion with a more critical eye. Um, from then on, I joined the Secular Student Alliance, and I've been to American Atheist meetups, and then eventually uh, back around 
2012, I moved to Long Island and I joined Long Island Atheists and then eventually became their president, which I was for the past two years. But that's pretty much how it happened as a process. It wasn't overnight, but I felt like the more questions I had and the more critical thinking I applied, everything just didn't add up and it didn't make any sense to me. Well, you mentioned uh, that conservative or orthodox Judaism as it was. Like, mm -hmm. I have to admit that uh, I have a great deal of ignorance when it comes to Judaism. Like, where I'm from, there are no Jews. When I, In school, I was actually taught that Hitler wiped out the Jews and there were none left because I'm from the South and our public education is a joke. Mm -hmm. So, until I moved to New York, I didn't really have much exposure to it, but how would you compare, uh, like, orthodox Judaism, like, the oppression to women, like, towards... For other religions, like Christianity or Islam, whatnot. Well, the, the first thing, uh, before I address that, I should clarify that within Judaism itself, you don't have to believe in God to join that religion. So it wasn't just a belief in God that was really thrust upon me. But even if you don't believe in God and it's kind of a social thing, a lot of it has to do with following things based on obedience. And a lot of critical thinking that is encouraged really has to do with how to follow, best follow that letter of the law. So it's not really like, why does God exist or how or who am I? It's kind of more questions about the text. Um, and in terms of how women tr are treated, it depends on who you ask. Like personally, I don't believe that they're, they're treated like everyone else. I think they're treated like second class citizens. Although you could say, well, if you join reformed versions of Judaism, then you could find more, you know, rabbinical leaders that are women and there's more equality there. But the general emphasis, like I went to a women's studies class in high school and it was about how to cook for your husband and nothing in particular. And also, so is there a special way to cook for your husband? It had to do a cheesecake. Seriously? <laughs> this, was, this was pretty recent. Like this was like in the 2000s, right? They were still teaching that in the 2000s. Yeah, so I remember my high school teacher also giving us terrible advice. Well, I should say Hebrew high, not public high school teacher, because I had additional Hebrew high classes as supplemental to my regular public school, although I'm the only one in my family to drop out of Hebrew high. But that aside, my teacher had said, if you're going to marry someone, never move in with them before you marry them, because you'll get all the benefits of the relationship without the misery attached. And so just horrible <laughs> How the fuck advice. does that work? It's marriage. It does And so, just horrible advice, and I remember none of it making sense to me. And in terms of other religions, like I was saying, if you ask some women who are Jewish, they'll say, well, women are actually exemplified in Judaism. They're considered a spiritual head of the household, and they don't have to wear yarmulke because they're considered closer to God. But to me, the outcome of, say, in the more religious um, parts of it, of not being able to, again, lead a service and stuff, kind of averages out to inequality. Yeah, that sounds like they're throwing you like a bone so I, you can be subservient. I, I would say it's it's similar to fundamental Islam or sort of any, what I determine to be tribalistic religion, really, um, and a patriarchal religion. Um, so I would say it's often overlooked and, for instance, in like Hasidic communities, there's a lot of domestic abuse that occurs and inequality, but it's very hard for people often to hear about and it's also hard for women to maintain a stronger role and fight that. I would just like to chime in. Even in the creation myth, right? Man gets made first, then woman gets made from the rib of a man. And woman is the agent 
who tempts men into, you know... That's right. They're also there to serve man's needs, because Adam needs a helper. You know, he has his whole farm to himself. He can't do it all by himself. And he asks God, and God's like, oh, you need a helper. So he creates a woman. You know, I've often wondered about the creation story. So God creates Adam. And and God at the moment thinks, well, you know, I'm done. I've created Adam. Does Adam have a dick? Of course he did. He was well, why would he have well a dick? Why would Adam <laughs> dicks have a dick? Have multiple because purposes. there's sheep. Lee. Not only sheep. dicks have three purposes: urination, sex, and masturbation. Well, according to the Christian faith, like your the purpose of the penis is for reproduction only, not for sex. Well, God knew that Adam was going to need help, well, so he knew that women were coming. He tried the animals and couldn't find a suitable mate. How else was he, so he supposed to find water? Ching. But I do want to say there's some <clears throat> Jewish mysticism that um, Eve wasn't the first woman, that there was a woman named Lilith who was actually created first, and she, you know, wasn't wasn't subservient enough to Adam, and so she was just destroyed and, and replaced by Eve, like a better model. Well, well, well Adam, uh, Adam and her wanted to have sex, and she wanted to be on top, and mm-hmm. Adam refused, and then like she like said no. And like she went down. And Adam does not know how awesome it is yeah. to have someone ride you. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And he created mm-hmm. Steve Harvey given reverse cowboy. <laughs> I think I saw this on TV True Life. Hey Rachel, can I ask you a, a kind of a personal question? And if you feel uncomfortable, please let me know. Um, okay. What was on the menu of this class about how to cook for your husband? <laughs> <laughs> it was cheesecake, which Mozzarella? is actually. <laughs> no. How do you cook cheesecake? I don't. Yeah, pancakes. We're not giving recipes on fucking cheesecake. Come on. Anything <laughs> with high cholesterol, which, you know, just over Is time. Is it mixed with, uh, like, whiskey or vodka? Because I think that's the best cheesecake. No, only blessing. Okay. Well, I'm actually curious about something, because you mentioned that you were, of course, raised in an Orthodox environment, but you also mentioned the Hasidic group. Can you tell us the difference between the two, the Hasidics and the Orthodox? Well, I would say Orthodox is a type of Judaism. It's a more fundamentalist Judaism. And then Hasidic is more of the community that happens to embody that fundamentalism. Um, You've brought up some very interesting points. And in the last episode, we were talking about the treatment of women in Islam. So I think it would be a good idea to talk about the treatment of women in Judaism. You've mentioned before that, and I also grew up as a Reformed Jew, You've mentioned about treatment of women and the way when you brought up the point of women being exemplified, I see that women are also exemplified on Pornhub. And being exemplified is, may or may not be a good thing, and the ways you can be exemplified is, is not necessarily something that someone could want. So I would say, what would be your, what would be your take on can religion, any religion, treat women well, even in the reform version that I was in, women were, were treated better than the conservative version was, better in, in quotation marks. Wait, words. did you just cons- compare Judaism to Pornhub? Yeah, what's what, the, 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 the <laughs> What is Pornhub? I don't know. What Actually, I, I do. <laughs> it's I, the number one website for rabbis. I, go on. I do, <laughs> I do some stand-up comedy occasionally, and one joke I have about Orthodox Judaism is like the inequality of how women are treated because... It takes 10 men to form a prayer service. You're not allowed to have women considered people, well, count towards a prayer service. So I joke, you could walk into the middle of a gangbang, be like, come on, guys, gotta go, gotta do that prayer, and then look at the woman and be like, no, not you, you're filthy. Wow. Oh. Damn. 
Mm. Is that two and a half men? There's a meme on that. <laughs> Saudi Arabia is a different joke. For but I would say definitely the difference between Reformed Judaism and Orthodox is you can see how right a woman can lead a service and and count towards um, more than just being like oh you know the spiritual head of the family. But again, like I said, it also depends on who you ask because some women will say kind of like with Islam that they feel empowered by that religion. But to me, the true test of a religion is what happens when you want to leave it and also having personal freedoms and choices. Do you think it's possible for any religion to treat women equally? Of course. Yeah, why would it? So I, I don't the, actually... the definition of religion in principle does not mean that it has to be sexist. You could literally have a religion in which God says, use science and reason and logic to find out the truth. Well, there are actual religions out there that promote equality between the sexes, but it, when you look at the Abrahamic religions, you have to look at the cultures they came from, where it was a male-dominated culture, and the male-dominated culture wanted to stay a male-dominated culture, so of course the faiths would reflect that. Well, that's one reason I became an atheist, because if you think of God as a supernatural, all-powerful being, why would God's laws be limited to sexism? That seems kind of God's a dude. redundant, right? It works yeah. in mysterious ways. Well, <laughs> let me ask you, why did you become an atheist and not just a deist? Okay. Um, I became an atheist because when I was praying, it felt like nobody was there and it just seemed silly to me. I mean, I guess you could call me an agnostic because technically it's hard to disprove a God, but I consider myself an atheist until proven wrong. Hmm. Agnostic atheist, right? Yes, and, and I did try to uh, follow Judaism on my own without anyone's influence, but again, it just didn't feel right to me, and it just kind of felt very flawed. Is there a version of Judaism that exists, suppose like an extremely liberal version of Judaism, like Reformed Judaism plus, you know, that like those even beyond that, that you could kind of like get, in, get down with? Did my parents find me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I respect like, reform Judaism, and it's right to exist, but personally, I identify as an atheist. I really don't see a need to add more labels to it, or to get behind, like, arbitrary rules or myths. Well, reform Judaism, you don't actually have to believe in God. A lot of reform right. Jews don't believe. It's just the tradition that Judaism is a cultural thing. Like, we, we do these, we do X, Y, and Z, and that's our cultural identity. Well, that's it's something really I want to ask about. Well, no, actually, that's something I really want to understand, because you mentioned before that you don't necessarily have to have a belief in God right. to be, but so, like I said, my ignorance on Judaism, it's, it's huge, but, and we didn't bring you on to be an expert on Judaism, but that's where we're going. So fuck it. So how the hell can you be a Jew and not believe in God? Okay. Quick thing to that. One, if you're talking about culture in terms of like the food and music, I love dragons and I consider myself culturally Targaryen. Uh, secondly, I would Are say, you mean to fire? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I would say that, uh, Judaism is particularly um, interesting because it's considered both a religion, somewhat of an ethnicity, uh, culture. It's like a combination thing. So, for instance, I love the comedian David Cross that talks about, well, I if David I, Cross. yeah, if I'm an atheist, how could I ever be still Jewish? And and the rabbi saying, well, you came out of your mother's vagina and it was Jewish. He goes, damn technicality. So, personally, I really just don't identify as Jewish. Um, I really don't like Fiddler on the Roof, which I've seen about a million times against <laughs> my own will. It, it doesn't really, while I'm uh, sympathetic with it and 
I do feel guilty in some sense because a lot of people would say, well, and even within my family, well, the Holocaust, you know, how, how could you not acknowledge your background and your heritage? But it really doesn't feel like something that I've chosen consensually for myself. It, it isn't really something that I identify with. And plus, the oppression, like I said, in the more fundamental aspects doesn't make it quite appealing to me. So I do respect that people can be culturally Jewish. And again, Judaism is more about obedience and understanding the letter of the law. Although the difference between, I would say, Judaism and fundamental Islam is the Torah in that respect is seen as mythological and a bunch of stories. No one would say that the Torah can never be wrong. Um, and I think less people actually say that the Torah has to be follow, like, followed to the letter. But there really isn't anything that I can glean from it. And anyone who says, well, there's great stories and there's great things you can glean from it, I just see that as humanism without the baggage attached to it. I'm sorry, but cultural Judaism, that doesn't make any sense to me. So growing up, like, I was surrounded by a culture that was absolutely horrible, like they like monster trucks and cultural racism. Cultural redneckism. Cultural redneckism, but... Uh, that's not the culture I chose to be a part of. And I certainly didn't think I was born into a culture. Like the culture didn't like, didn't depend on my DNA or even my location. It was what related to me. The idea that a culture is enforced upon you at birth because of who, who your parents are. That's, that's actually sickening to me. So culture is in part. Well, a lot no, no people, culture is what you, you identify as. Culture is what you want right. to be a part well, of. That first, culture that, is a that's choice. When, that's when you find yourself usually in your teen years. When you're born into a culture, everyone is born into a culture they have no choice in. Your language, your religion, your customs, your traditions. And then in your teenage years, usually you find yourself and you say, okay, you either say, well, I like this culture, I want to be in it. Or you go find another culture that you want to be a part yes, of. Yes, but the idea that you're, you're forced to be a part of that culture till the day you die, or the, the idea that you are you are one of them no matter what, that's ridiculous well, to me. It's very tribalistic. And on top of that, too... When people think of cultural Judaism, they tend to think of like Seinfeld and and kind of those impressions of like old Jewish women being like Seinfeld's a Jew, <laughs> of you know someone's parents being like you could be anything you want, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, but mostly those. Sounds like South Park. Uh, can, uh, what's this? What's the? Um, I forgot the name. The, uh, the Jewish community in South yeah. Africa. Yeah. No, so so there's a problem. That a lot of uh, our you know friends of the uh, ex-Muslim community talk about this. This idea that you know, being a certain thing is an immutable property is sort of in your DNA. And there's a lot of people on who call their aggressive left that view this as kind of part of who you are in the way they don't do for Christianity. You say, oh yeah, you can move about freely and leave Christianity. It's like a hipster privilege. But if you're born as a Muslim, that's just in your DNA. And that's a very insulting well, kind of... And I would add to that, if you think it's so great, try to leave whatever culture you're in. Try to leave whatever religion you're in and see how difficult it can be. I mean, when I you know, identified as an atheist and I left Judaism, I left religion, I felt like I, I lost a community, I lost a lot of friends. So to me, how great is a religion or a culture when you try to leave and you feel like you can't? Interestingly, if you, if you look at the three Abrahamic religions, if you look at Judaism, where the emphasis is on the practice, but not so much the belief, and you look at Christianity, where the, the emphasis is on the belief, and there's really no practice, and you look at Islam, it's the combination of the two. It's the belief and the practice. You have to believe in Allah, and you have to obey the Sharia. You know, Islam is basically like take, looking at Judaism and Christianity and saying you're both wrong. You got to combine the two. You have to have the belief and the practice. And I think part of it is people take it so personally when you do want to really to leave religion or culture because it throws them into a spin of questioning their own beliefs, and, it, and a lot of people take it personally and feel offensive about it. 
All right, at this point, like Kenya, you've been hanging out here for a while. I actually want to ask you a few questions, specifically about your background. How the hell did you become an atheist? Well, <laughs> it's actually a crazy story. I was, basically, I was raised Christian, the Christian culture my whole life, just like how almost every other African-American is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, as I, you know, just was a hardcore, like, you can't tell me God doesn't exist person. I was, well, obviously a regular Christian, which means, you know, I never read the Bible. Never in my life did I do that. And Yeah, don't. It's it's a waste of time. <laughs> but I found that out the hard Why way. Why would you read the Bible if you're a Christian? Come on. It's, <laughs> really, poorly, it's really poorly written. <laughs> Terribly written, actually. So, but um, I read the Bible one day. And uh, it was actually in my time of my illness, I have uh, multiple sclerosis. And I was praying for God for answers and got none. And got help from the doctors and got a lot more answers with them. So I read the Bible one day. And then, of course, you know, there's uh, the sexist verses, the murderous verses, the apparently Elisha could call on God's name and then a whole bunch of kids just get eaten alive by bears. <laughs> um, <laughs> that that really that, that really, sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> not not to me, man, but you know, it was just like it just really messed me up. And then you know, the slavery verses. Now, as an African American, and I yeah. I mean <laughs> I mean anybody in general but any incarnation of slavery is just not okay in my, you know, in my honest worldview. Well, as an African American, I totally agree. Also, it doesn't talk about the Torah. The Torah says you can conquer other nations and enslave the women and children. Right. Totally acceptable. Right. Why don't I get a holy book that says I can conquer other people and enslave them? You gotta write your own religion. I feel gypped. Actually, funny enough, the Mormon religion actually believes that black people are cursed for their skin color. And, I, and and it didn't really make too much sense to me. According to the Mormon faith, if you're black, it's because you descend from people who rebelled against Yah or Jehovah or Joseph Smith or something. You sided, you sided with Lucifer. Yeah, you there sided were two with groups Satan. Of people. Those who sided with Jesus <laughs> kept their white skin. Those no, who it's, no, it's with Mormon Jesus. It's not Jesus. Mormon Jesus. Mormon Jesus. Yes, Jesus. of course. <laughs> who had a rock hard six pack. Like rock hard. Yeah. yeah. He also like wore a three piece suit. Like he, he puts Vin Diesel to shame. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, after I read the Bible that really threw me to, to basically the end and I was just to the point where I was like well I can't give up on God so let me join which we're probably going to talk about later tonight let me join the Nation of Islam and I joined it maybe for about how the fuck did you go from one crazy shit to another I, I didn't want to give up on the whole religion. That is a very common path. Yeah, look right. at another religion first. But how does that work? How do you go from one bleak reject to another that's equally as ridiculous? Well, he didn't know at the time. We have to explore first. Right, exactly. And so for me, even though they, as you say, they are both ridiculous. And um, I just didn't want to give up on the belief. I wanted to keep the religion with me, too. So, because I, I felt religion was a good thing. I found out the hard way that it's not. And, um... As I read some of the Quran, I saw that it said, 
that Muhammad had sex with a six, uh, nine-year-old, and that kind of made me uncomfortable. And also the part where it says, if you leave this religion, you deserve to die. Well, I think I'll just pass on this religion and uh, <laughs> go ahead and do something else. Blood in, blood out. No <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I actually, that point, I was uh, considering atheism. I cried, and I, then I prayed to God, which really gave me my answer that maybe there was no God at all. I prayed to God, and I said, all I need is one piece of evidence. And as I, you know, waited for about probably two hours, nothing happened, everything stayed the same, I let it go. And then, honestly, I thought I was going to be dead the next day because I was an atheist by that point. And when I woke up the next day, I realized that, you know what, there's nothing up there. It's okay. You know, I don't need the religion. And I don't need the belief of a higher power to be who I am. Well, if you if you yeah, read that's the, actually that's <laughs> massive applause. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. If you read the fine print in the back of the Bible, it says that prayers take at least twelve hours. <laughs> so you wait a little. Well, I'm pretty day. sure ten hours after that, nothing happened. But uh, right. how long? How long after after that night until you you discovered like the New York atheist scene? Well, actually, because I used to live in Florida, I didn't really you know know about you guys like that for real. I was trying to find atheist groups. In Florida, and that was, uh, you know, in the South, you can't really find many of those. Well, there, there are a lot in the <laughs> South, but they mostly call themselves dirty humanists. <laughs> well, filthy, filthy humanists. Well, you know what? I'm a clean humanist, so I don't think I want to be a part of that right <laughs> at this moment. But um, I then came down here, and the first thing I did as soon as I made it to New York was, let me see if there's an atheist group down here. Found out about Gotham Atheists, and... Yeah, here I am, and I love it, and I don't think I would ever go back to religion as long as I live, and I don't think I'll ever believe in a higher power for as long as I live. Well, even if you did, we'd still love you, because you're an awesome guy. <laughs> so you mean Thank you're you. just going to use things like facts and evidence to determine whether or not... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think facts and evidence is the only way to go. I don't like believing or having faith anymore, which is believing in something without evidence. If I can get more serious for a moment here, how do you now reconcile with your family's different beliefs in yours? Well, believe it or not, me and my family, we uh, there's some pieces on, on my family level that handle it really well and others that don't know how to handle it at all. And to those, I just go straight Christopher Hitchens on them, you know, and I just <laughs> debunk everything they try to say that's good about a higher power or anything like, well, prayers get answered. And so I'm like, oh, so this guy on the football team's prayers get answered, but the hungry person right now in America just starving, not having anything to eat, his prayers just won't get answered yet, right? And so they, they of course, they start to uh, stutter and not have critical answers at all and just make up other circle, you know, circular reasoning arguments for me. So that that's basically how I handle them. Yeah. So you're very combative at this point. This is like, uh, yeah. Do you, you can you do you consider yourself an anti-theist? I actually do. Yes, yes. I um, I kind of actually want to be able to debate religion too. You know, I want to be like David Silverman, Christopher Hitchens, all those great guys. And I just want to, if not get rid of religion as a whole, 
I guess, and you know that seems physically impossible. At, at least get rid of it for the African American community because in this community you'll have people who have barely any money to their names and they have a choice between feeding themselves with the money they have or donating to a church. And you know, because of their belief, they choose the church. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was was gonna say, can you talk about some of the times you've interacted with other African Americans and they've either disagreed with you or like how how do you best try to convince them that you're on the right side here? Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well I actually I I talk to them about what they believe in and they they asked me, What do you think you know about the Bible and how can you prove that it's actually flawed? Like, you know, flawed and incorrect. So I go ahead and I tell them about, you know, all the New Testament verses that have sexism and racism, you know, slavery and all that good stuff. And I've actually converted a few, of just a few, and at most three people. That's to, not bad. Yeah, to just saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe this religion is pretty, you know, fucked up. And I guess... At this point, other African-Americans, they just refuse to hear me and say I'm taking it out of context like every other Christian person does, regardless of race. You know, you're taking it out of context. The Bible doesn't mean it that way. It's a parable or it's not meant to be taken seriously, this, that, and the third. And so, you know, it's uh, it's just ridiculous. I don't know how to, how to help those, but I do help the ones that are able to see the light through the religions. Um, what do you think about, uh, especially within communities, uh, teaching or finding ways to promote skepticism and critical thinking where religion isn't really discussed? It's more about how to have logical conversations and appreciate science and explore that curiosity. What do you think about that vantage point, especially in a lot of these neighborhoods like uh, where people are hungry to learn, they're hungry for civics and critical thinking and the school system sucks and what do you think about better ways where skeptics can work in these neighborhoods and work with the community and build incubators for free thinking just as a starting point? Well, me personally, I love knowledge, so I think it's a great idea. You know, I just feel that it needs to be bigger than a than a group standard, an actual, you know, educational one. So it needs to be in the Department of Education system. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it's not going to be in there, but it would just be better if it was. You know, it would absolutely. I think we should fight for that more than anything. It's free, you know, critical thinking in our education system. But I don't think Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is going to do that. Yes, <laughs> definitely not. But I would say this: if churches don't get taxed, then I think I shouldn't get taxed for being an anti-theist, and no, <laughs> no, neither should any other atheist. You know, well, I've got to ask something uh, that I think is incredibly important. During your instruction in your early days of Christianity or your later days of the Nation of Islam, did you ever have to take a class on how to cook for men? (laughs) (laughs) On what? How to cook for men. How to cook for men. Apparently Uh, the Jews have to do it, so. Well, I I wouldn't think so because I am a man. You know, I think it was mostly aimed at women. You know, it's a sexist thing. You know, women can't show their hair. If they're Muslim and stuff like that, and, you know, they have to wear a burqa to, to just be, I guess, religiously closer to God or whatever, you know, the hell of belief is. Yeah, that makes no sense to me, but we'll run with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a class for men because microwaves weren't invented back then. <laughs> so I'd like to chime in a little bit. Mm-hmm. In the black community especially, um, 
There's an oh, here we go again. <laughs> well, it's the Afro American community. Yeah, the Afro American. It's not often we have two black people on the same show, so I need to. No, it should be often. I'm sorry, the Firebrands podcast is going to be a diverse podcast. We are We're pretty gonna... diverse, though. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. But why is there such a low percentage, especially in the black community, of atheists and agnostics? I mean, I have my own theories about why this is true. I grew up religious as well. I'm also Caribbean, so it's like doubly religious. Right, right. But um, what is it going to take for these percentages to measure up more to the percentages we see nationwide? Where, why is there this disparity in the black and Hispanic communities in particular? But you might ask, why is atheism dominated by white guys? Well, the answer I think we all know is just that uh, from a sociological perspective, religions, the dominant religion of the West is Christianity. And Christianity is a religion that generally appeals to the downtrodden. It appeals to the oppressed. It appeals to the one who's poor, the one who's needy. And historically speaking, black people have been at the lower end of the economic spectrum. The most privileged demographic in this country is white males. The least religious demographic in this country is white males. The most uh, oppressed demographic in this country is maybe probably black females. The most religious demographic in this country is black females. And so you see a direct correlation between how you how high you are on the economic spectrum and how oppressed you are with their level of religiosity. And so one of the best things, in my opinion, of getting um, the black community out of religion is by raising their economic standards and social status. Once that happens, once they're able to buy their own things and they, they don't need the church or kind of religious uh, net below them to, to, to fall back on. Once they don't need that, they won't need religion anymore. And they'll just throw it away, just like how a very large percentage of white America has done. Right, right. I would like to go ahead and add on uh, that I also think the reason why we keep going into these uh, Christian cultures and beliefs is that uh, Christianity, like you said, is the most dominant dominated uh, religion, you know, in the Western civilization, and we we can all hit the the uh, nail on the head right here with this one. Also, slavery plays a big part of that. You know, it was either say Jesus Christ was your Lord and Savior or get killed. You know, and, and if that's your only two options, I think any of us would be like Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. You know, and of course you would pass it on to your kids because you don't want them to get murdered, so on and so forth. And then I feel it just turned into a a system that just never ended for the black community. Well, I'd like to brainstorm with some alternatives here. Uh, a little background on me. I spent three years in Miami at tutoring exclusively black children in the inner city area. And what I noticed from my time doing that is that it, it was either you hung out at the church in an after-school activity, right. or there wasn't much other other options there. So it, it, in many many of the cases, it was like that was kind of like the beacon, and then there was nothing else for the kids to really do. And I was brought in by the South Miami government to, to, to lead this program. I did it for three years. Mm. And some of the kids there had that like, questions about religion, but then, like, they, they couldn't go and talk to any of the other parents running it, some of the other tutors, and I ended up fielding a number of these questions from people. And I, I kind of I want to see something like an alternative for people where you don't have to go 
dedicate yourself to the Christian God to get away from some of the some of the more nasty things that I saw in inner city Miami. Right. So, uh, what kind of things would, would you like to see some some type of alternative for kids to go where they're not reliant on some college kid answering their questions for them, which is what I had to do when I was in Miami for that time. Right. Well, uh, I would just recommend. You know, just taking them to a place where they could understand that, you know, religions is dangerous. You know, all religions are dangerous. Excuse me. Let me uh, correct myself on that. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a very hard spot to or thing to do for the African-Americans, because if you're not like considered Christian, you're not even considered to be a part of the race. I you know that you've given up on the race like. Me as a as an atheist or anti theist, first thing I'm told is, well, what what's wrong with you? You're not you're not black if you don't believe in a higher power. You're not. Uh, I had to deal with some of these issues with the kids. Yeah, when I, when I was tutoring, I remember. I remember that. Yeah. Right, right. Would you tell them that they weren't black? They didn't believe in a higher no. power. <laughs> that's like they're all alcoholics. Some of the kids had to deal with some of these issues, and, we, and the church was hosting the pro, the government program. So if you want if you wanted to go and get tutoring if you were struggling algebra for instance then you had to come to into the church and I'm, you had a guy like me there to help and tutor the kids in science and math and English and whatever it was and I, that's why I saw the issues where the religion was associated with the race where a, a proper black person had to be Christian and part of what I taught the kids is you determine your race and your values. You, you don't have to act a certain way to be black. You be you, and you can be black. Right. So that's part, part of the things that I, that I had to show. And getting, that's a tough message to get through when there are, aren't many alternatives for many of many of the people. I'm sure not just in Miami and all, all, all over the nation. I just want to chip in here that um, during college in 2012, I did a study abroad to Uganda for a month. Um, mm. I was in Kampala. And you could tell just the evangelicals influence the people that visit from the U.S. and aid in resources, and a lot of people there are actually named Moses, right, running right. into locals named Moses, and if you were an atheist, you couldn't tell anyone it's practically illegal to yeah. say that you're an atheist and, and to be an activist about it, and another thing I want to add to that is I saw some of the schools and some of the children um, and the conditions that the people are in, and in a Maslow's chart of needs kind of way, if you're struggling with the everyday, how are you going to find that strength and that energy to kind of deal with these philosophical questions? I'm not saying that you can't possibly, but it would be harder to fight when you have to deal with um, certain resource needs right away. Those seem to be more of a priority. I mean, it's a bit of a struggle and it's like a catch-22, you know, having access to that education and then, like you said, being reliant on maybe education that's influenced by a church. Right, right. So uh, I want to touch on that. Uh, it's basically illegal to be an atheist thing in Africa, basically. Uh, there's this uh, this atheist who I actually recently looked up because, you know, I just wanted to know if there were any <laughs> African atheists. Uh, this guy, his name was Leo Igwe. He was actually arrested for being an atheist in his country. And he's from Nigeria, you know, and obviously we see what's going on in Nigeria if you're just Christian alone. And you know, for him to be an atheist and just get arrested for, for what? You know, not just not being a, the person 
born into some stupid belief that there's a guy watching you and he's really mad if you jerk your own self off. You know, it's it's just a whole ridiculous, I guess, standard from that point, you know? Well, folks, on that note, we have to take a quick moment for a commercial break. And here's a word from our sponsors. Oh, wait, we don't have any sponsors yet because we're a new <laughs> show. So if you'd like to sponsor the Firebrands Podcast, please email us at the or at firebrandspodcast at gmail.com. There'll be a link in wherever the hell you're reading this. Hit us up. Give us all of your money, and I literally mean all of your money. And if we <laughs> like what you have to say, and this is after you've already given us your money, we may or may not promote whatever it is you're trying to sell. So back to the show. And we're back. Welcome to Back to the Firebrands Podcast. Next up, Mr. John Kerbo has something interesting to share with us, and that's going to be our topic for the rest of the night. John? Yeah. Oh, dear. So first of all, I, uh, I, I really need alcohol for this because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that needs to be an ongoing conversation, and it's, um, it's, it's going to be something that's going to require all of us to... Well, well, John, you're holding a beer in your hand, and so are most of us, so I yeah. think the alcohol part's covered. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. So, so there's a, to try to sum this up, um, there's a... There's two backstories here. One is about kind of an ideological language barrier, kind of a tribal sort of political uh, problem where these, there's, there's different ways people talk about race and social justice, and, 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 and people need to come together and talk about this, but they have, there's this barrier of political tribalism where people don't do that the right way. People on the right hear people on the left talk about it, and it scares the shit out of them. People on the right often do care, but they don't, you know, talk about it in ways that are they, they uh, you know, fail to see the problem or they, they care, but they stick to their local community. So then people on the left think that they don't care. The point is we all need to get involved in the issue of things like equality and police reform. But in, uh, I swear can, you're about to make a point, but I'm just not there yet. No, no, no. To leave equally. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, so, I mean, the point is we can, we can do this in, in reasonable ways. So I'll talk about that a little bit, but the main issue is, so there's a big thing on Twitter, and I apologize for not being able to better articulate this right now. Um, Maybe you've had too much beer. Yeah, no, no, not all, not all. I, 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 was, I was debating for two hours a bunch of regressive leftists on Twitter, and it was uh, actually pretty terrible. But So there's a, there's a big feud on Twitter. Um, uh, I don't want to call it a feud. I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's um, Flame War? There's a guy named uh, Talib Kweli. I, I don't really know the guy Flame very War. well. Um, he's uh, a, he's a really dope MC. He's part of Black Star. He used to be a duo with most Def. He's a conscious MC. Yeah, yeah. He's got a million followers, and he, so Taco Mako. Yeah. So he so he basically was talking um, about uh, this um, Muslim reformer named Majid Nawaz, the one who co-authored a book with Sam Harris. And uh, you know, people in this room, a lot of them, we all know who these people are. I've, I've talked to Majid and his you know think tank called Quilliam. They're basically Muslims that are working on. Uh, a project for counter-extremism and human rights led by Muslims so that Muslims can reclaim their faith and make it about, you know, freedom and democracy and pluralism and stuff like that. So Majid co-authored a book with uh, Sam Harris. Um, and there's this idea out there by certain people on the left in some communities that uh, Sam Harris is bad and therefore Majid collaborating with him is bad and that Majid is a sellout and Stuff like that. So, so that's a that's one school of thought that some people promote. And this guy was talking about this on Twitter, saying all these bad things about Majid that Sam Harris was a white supremacist, and Majid collaborating with him, you know, indicts him, and he's 
therefore guilty. And Manchu was saying, look, I want to have a dialogue. I want to reach out to you the way I reached out to Sam years ago. And at first, Harris and Manchu didn't like each other. And then, or at least they, they didn't get along. And then two, I think two years later, they, 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 they found a way to have a really beautiful conversation. And they wrote a book. And the idea was that we can bridge dialogue. It was to get a conversation started. Do you um, mean like yeah. we can honestly talk about Islam? Yeah. Even whole, people who are religious could honestly talk about Islam? Well, the idea is to promote honesty, to lower these tribal barriers and this unwillingness to speak honestly about things and to ask questions people are afraid to ask. You could, you could give an example of men and women. Often men have their ideas about women and vice versa. How often do they sit down at a bar and just have an honest conversation? Same thing with religion. Same thing with Islam and atheism. They need to lower this wall of segregation and talk to each other as honestly as they can and find ways to bridge this gap. And that's the idea that Majid and Harris had. So he's, Majid was reaching out to uh, Talib Kweli about this, and Talib was uh, you know, dismissing him, saying, I don't talk to people who collaborate with white supremacists. Basically, what I call the uh, Anakin Skywalker fallacy. It's sort of this idea of, if you're not with, you know, you are an outgroup, you're an enemy, I don't collaborate with you, you are, it's a black and white way of You're either with us or against us. With us or, absolutely, with us or against us. And this is a very dangerous fallacy in moral psychology where any tribal moral community, whether you're a diehard conservative or a bleeding heart liberal, you see people that disagree with you as, a, as an irreconcilable outgroup. And this, this black and white way of seeing the world is a dangerous virus and barrier to progress. And we need a way to, to tear down this wall and, and try to build conversation between these ideological tribes. And therefore, so that's why we should cheer on the idea that this Talib guy should open his door to people from the science and skeptic community, as well as people like Najib, Having honest conversations, having the humility right. to say, I may be wrong about my ideology. So, John, we're, yeah. we're saying that some people, even on the left, liberal right. progressives, yeah. when other members of the left um, criticize certain elements of religion, they get very defensive and they start yeah. saying, these people are racist. They'll just throw out slurs yeah. because of some sort of – I mean – Barry, um, it's like a reflexive reaction. Discuss the umbrella term for these people, regressives, in a previous yeah, podcast. Yeah. This will come up again and again and again. Unfortunately. And Talib Police, it seems like he's falling into this camp right now because he's attacking certain secular superheroes like Sam Harris and saying horrible things about them yeah. because of the frankness with which they what uh, One specific criticize. example of this is uh, from his Twitter, and I'm pulling this up, and I... I actually tweeted him, and he responded to me. He's responded to other people, and the responses are, I think, really worth debating, and I'll go into those. But one example of what you're talking about is this, this I call the, the black and white all or none fallacy or the binary thinking, where it's like, because some people because some people that are bigots criticize Islam, that doesn't mean that everyone who criticizes Islam is a bigot. There's some people that like going to the gym or shooting guns for psychological reasons that are bad. Like there's some people that are insecure, therefore they go to the gym. That doesn't mean everyone who goes to the gym and loves working out has psychological issues. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's like, so, so uh, Talib tweeted this, uh, something saying that Western culture, the word Western culture in any positive way is just code for white supremacy. And every honest person knows this. He said that. I mean, that's not the. It's pretty close to the exact quote. So he's an idiot. Well, well, yeah. It, it, well, he, no, he could be a reasonable person, but ideology is like a virus. When ideology is dogmatic or rigid, it's like bad software on your computer. The only upgrade is scientific thinking and skepticism. So, 
I tweeted, I said, look, you know, you just committed a basic fallacy. Yes, there are some bigots, millions of them actually, especially in Europe, that use the word Western culture as code. That doesn't mean that there aren't millions more who talk about Western culture in honest ways about basic, you know, our history, the enlightenment and the freedoms this guy has to run his mouth. So, But, but yeah. John, getting back a little on topic, why is Talib Kweli, uh, an MC, a rapper, who is considered to be socially conscious, right. a good guy, a guy who talks about the struggles that Americans go through, not just black Americans, but all yeah. Americans, why is there this divide between himself and other progressive, usually secular yeah. thinkers. So I, I have some theories. I'd really like Dude, yeah. Kenye and Mike Walsh to chip in because they're also hip-hop yeah. fans. I think the divide is ideology yeah. versus rational yeah. thinking, but I'd love you guys' take on it too. Just real quick, I think uh, I think ideology in its dogmatic form, dogmatism on the left, has just fundamentally hijacked social activism. I think social activism can be better stated, better articulated, better carried out, by reasonable thinkers using scientific reason and genuine compassion far better than ideology. I think ideology is a virus but, in its rigid form. But, but I think Islam especially has a special place in hip-hop culture and black culture. What, what do you guys think about that? What the hell is hip-hop culture? Wait, hold on. Say that again? I think Islam has a special sort of place, a connection in this idea of socially conscious hip-hop rap. We were Off the air, we talked about a number of hip-hop groups that were influenced by like five percenters, Zulu Nation, uh, those kinds of ideas sort of trickled down into certain very famous socially conscious. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the big rappers during the golden age, like Eric B. and Rakim and Grand Nubian and many other groups were, Quest were, they were Muslims. They were, they were, they were basically Muslims. But when I li- that's my favorite era of hip hop actually. It's the golden age, the late eighties, early nineties. But when I listen to these rappers, I don't really I never really get the the idea of like there's a deep theological understanding of Islam. It's more like Islam is like a cool thing that we want to yeah. do. It's like a rejection of Christianity. It's like rebelling against Christianity and saying, if we're Muslims, you know, fuck Christianity. And it's a way of being cool. The like same power. exact way of like, <laughs> same exact way that uh, rock and roll was a rebellion against whatever mainstream was before that. Yeah, but really we got Satan. I never really got a, a deep theological understanding of Islam <laughs> from them. Especially since groups like Ranubi and like every other track are talking about hoes and bitches and. And this and that and homophobia. partying, yeah, and homophobia. Well, the Islam is down with that, though. <laughs> uh, and then they'll have like a Muslim track here and there, which is which makes me think like it's kind of like a, a side thing. But I think the problem with Talib is just that he's fallen under the same exact kind of way of thinking that Ben Affleck did when he was on that episode of Real Time about a year and a half ago or so, where he conflates all criticism of Islam with racism, and so he's unable to. Uh, distinguish that you can criticize Islam without being a racist. And part of the problem with this is that the loudest voices criticizing Islam today are actual racists. And the moderates like, uh, you know, like Sam Harris, who are criticizing Islam, who are not racist, their voices are, are drowned out by the actual racists. And because the actual racists who are criticizing Islam are the loudest voices, the liberal point of view looking at this, this uh, looking at criticism of Islam is this idea that all criticism of Islam is done by racists. Yeah. Meaning, if you criticize Islam, you're suddenly going to be grouped into that 
that container of people who actually are racist, who are criticizing Islam, and there's no distinction between the two. And so that's that's the real problem that we have. And so what I would want to ask Talib or or any other regressive leftist is, how can one criticize Islam without being a racist? Now, we've heard some answers that they give, and that is you have to convert to Islam first before you can criticize uh, Islam. You have to be a Muslim, in other words. But by that logic, you have to be white in order to criticize white people. You have to be Christian in order to criticize Christians. You have to be an atheist to criticize atheists. Of course, they don't agree with that. So that goes to show you that their logic is obviously flawed. And what you have to do is you have to push that into their face and shows them how, show them how their logic is flawed on this issue and then try to come to a mutual understanding on what's logical, if you can. I mean, I'm not sure necessarily how, what's the best way to do so. Do you come out swinging? Do you come out into your, you know, super hardcore anti-theist, you know, fundamentalist mode? Or do you kind of like, you know, come out hospitable and bridge the gap? I don't know. I, I, would, I, would, I would assume that a more hospitable tone is the best way to proceed forward to try to reach mutual agreement. Well, folks, on that note, and that sounds like an amazing discussion that we should probably have on a future episode, but this is the part where we have to start our plug session. So everyone here, I'm going to go around the table, as I always do, clockwise. Anything you want to plug, anything you want to promote, any idea, project, whatnot, now is the time. Let's hear from you first, Mitch. There is a lack of empathy in this world, and the main reason behind that is because of a belief in the erroneous idea of free will. I am a co-founder of a not-for-profit organization dedicated to teaching people about this issue and trying to convince them that free will does not exist. You can find us at ifwro.org or on Twitter at freewillisfalse. Dan the man. Uh, I'd just like to mention something that I have been looking at a lot recently, uh, Street Epistemology with Anthony Magnabosco. If you Google that, check it out. It's a really cool uh, YouTube series where some guy is asking people questions on the street, not necessarily talking directly about atheism, but just asking people's beliefs and why they believe it. Rachel. And I'd like to mention um, that in addition to activism, which I'm involved in Long Island Atheists and American Humanist Association Long Island, um, I do artwork. And you can find my artwork at www.rawartist.org slash Rachel Tobias. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-T-O-B-I-S. I will have be having an art show in Seattle. Um, and I also occasionally do stand-up in Manhattan. I have to say, as a consumer of art, she's fucking phenomenal. I've seen her stuff firsthand. Go give her all your money. It's yeah, perfect. she's amazing. I just yeah. want to say I do a lot of surrealist art, and I my artwork is the kind of stuff you're not into art. At least you can look at it and be like, "Bitch can draw." She can, Mr. Michael John, the thinker. I've always wanted to write a novel, and so uh, what I'm trying to do right now is write a novel. In, in real time, um, post by post. Uh, and so what I did is I created a website for that. So uh, my novel is called The Thinker Dash A Novel. And the website for it is thethinkernovel.blogspot.com. And so what it is is basically a fictionalized version of my life that uh, mixes reality with fantasy. And uh, the idea is an atheist searches for meanings of life and it's a it's a way for me to explain 
through dialogue and narrative, uh, how I came to believe all the things I believe now. Uh, and so I, my, the character in my novel kind of comes to believe all the things I believe now, and it shows a way how you can do that. Uh, so it's uh, thethinkernovel.blogspot.com. I hope I get to write the forward for that, because that sounds awesome. Andrew, what would you like to blog? By the end of this week, ajdconcepts.com is going to be finished. This is my website explaining various different ways to view the world and think about things. I'm going to have my shareholder value framework, which views everyone in the world as a shareholder in society. I'm going to explain how this works and how this impacts public policy and how we should view each other. I look for this by the end of the week. I love your concept of turning like capitalism into democracy. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah. Capitalism rules the world, and we and if we view people in that way, it'll. it'll it, I want to foster respect for people through capitalist dialogue. Well, I, I've often heard that we live in a capitalist society. We don't. We live in a cronyism society. So I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. But Mr. John Kerbo, what would you like to plug? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, capitalism only work is intended by Adam Smith that people are respected. But secondly, uh, real quick, so a project we want to build here in New York City is, uh, or anywhere, is this. This goes back to our thing about uh, Talib Kweli and others. There's a language barrier. So people that subscribe to critical race theory talk about racism, white supremacy, stuff like that. They're speaking a certain language. There's people that don't understand that. We need to bridge this dialogue in this conversational apartheid, bring people together. We need to do this in real time by pairing skeptics with activists, social activists, and just having conversations and building logical discussion. I think this should be done in universities. I think it should be an incubator within a community. I think it should be done in real time. And we need to figure out ways to do this. Uh, one YouTube video I want to plug is called uh, Common Ground Across the American Landscape. It's like five minutes. I narrate it. And just watch it. It's about how you divided four blacks and four whites over the years and how critical thinking is our only weapon. It's not about left versus right, it's about human well-being and critical thinking. So, there you go, your turn. Kenya, let's hear from you. Well, I have a YouTube channel known as The Rebellious Deity, and I talk about, you know, obviously, religion, things like that. And I'm currently in the middle of making a film about how churches are actually dominating mostly black, poor black communities and just poor communities in general. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <And> then, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. It sounded so white. I, don't <laughs> I tried to make it sound white. As an African American, I feel I should try to sound white on occasion. This cast is all Filipino. Racial appropriation. <laughs> Kenny, I look forward to checking out your channel. Uh, I guess it's my turn to plug. So I usually have a lot of like crazy activist things going on, but I don't want to plug anything I'm doing right now. I do want to plug a YouTube channel, though. So I'm a big history aficionado. Like, I love, especially war history. I want you to go to YouTube. I'm going to search for The Great War. The Great War channel right now is the absolute best channel I've ever seen to relive the story of World War One. They started uh, on the 100th year anniversary of the beginning of the war. And each week, they give a recap of what happened to the war, the equipment, the, the, the those involved, the triumphs, the horrors, whatnot. It's an amazing channel. I want you to check it out. But, folks, and especially to our guests, Rachel and Kenya, you two are officially firebrands from now on. We love you guys. You guys were great. I'm here to stay. Thank you. You better be. Because <laughs> we not only do we want you, we need you. 
And I don't just mean we as the podcast. I mean we as the atheist community. We as the secularists, the skeptics, whatnot. It's folks like you that make it possible for us to do what we do, that make this world a better place. Never stop. Keep going. We fucking love you. Now, folks, I'm your host, Lee Moore. You've been listening to the Firebrands, and I'm getting drunk. <laughs>